Yeah. I also don't I, think we go ahead, Ryan. I always get cut off, you know, by two, <laughs> two blabbermouths. <laughs> This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen, and I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. There seems to be a growing trend in the whiskey world, and that's when you start seeing a custom faces that you know and trust in a brand leave and go and start their own venture. Well, I mean, can you blame them? There's more opportunity, and you can own a piece of the pie. But could we see a growing problem where we see those brands actually struggle to take off? To help dive into this conversation, we invite Jason Calori of the Mash and Drum on the show. We kick off the show to learn more about Jason and how he built one of the largest whiskey YouTube channels out there. And then we talk about master distillers and other faces of brands leaving and what really motivates such a move. Well, I hope you enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's not so much an idea as it is kind of like a letter to the editor. This one comes from Sterling, who writes me on fredminnick.com. I just wanted to reach out and thank you for the most recent Above the Char segment on allocation and frustration with the state of bourbon. I had become increasingly frustrated with the elitist attitudes about bourbon, flippers, and even liquor stores selling their allocations directly to secondary. Your segment was just what I needed to hear as I take a step back from bourbon to focus on my fermentation science degree with the hope that one day I will get paid to make good whiskey. Well, Sterling, I wish you all the best in that quest to make good whiskey, and I think a fermentation degree is definitely the way to go. Uh, I'd be curious, too, like, uh, what are they teaching you all about food enzymes right now and controlling rye foaming? I'd be curious how, how many adva advancements have come in that wave since the 1980s. Anyway, uh, I, I do want to address that a little bit more. So, obviously, we are all kind of in this in this world of can't get a bottle, want to get a bottle, and there's a lot of people who get frustrated and I think when we find ourselves in that position, I think it's smart to step back and ask yourself, why are you here? Why are you in bourbon? Why, are, why is bourbon the hobby for you? And it usually comes down to friends. It comes down to people. When it becomes about the bottle and the bottle chase, then it's no longer a hobby. It's an obsession. And obsessions can be good, such as being a fan of a a ridiculously bad team, like anybody who's a Cleveland Browns fan. My God, I don't know how you'd do it. Uh, but that's that can be good because you have a crowd around you. You have a community with you. And obsessions can be bad, such as being the stalker of, of uh, Taylor Swift. That's uh, that's bad. You don't want to be stalker, stalker obsessed. So I, I think when you find yourself getting away from the original reason why you're into bourbon, that's where we get ourselves in trouble. If you're frustrated to the point that you want to step away, then, you know, maybe maybe bourbon is, is not right now and bourbon is not right for you. And I've been that way several times. That's why I wrote a rum book in uh, 2017. I was frustrated with bourbon then. And I was still frustrated with bourbon, and that's why I wrote a mead book. I stayed in bourbon, don't get me wrong, and I kept writing about it and kept talking about it. But I had kind of lost that, that, that joy because everyone seems to be stuck in these little bottle chases. And that has always bothered me. And yes, I know. I give reviews. I say uh, some of these elite bourbons are good, but... I spend 90% of my time trying to tell people about Knob Creek and other types of bourbons that you don't have to spend, you know, $300 on. I guess what I'm getting at is find your Knob Creek, find your rum, find the thing that you can go to and smile about when it comes to bourbon. Every time you get yourself in a bind thinking about, am I going to be able to get Pappy Van Winkle or am I going to be able to get William Lou Weller? And ask yourself, why do you want that bottle so badly? And why isn't, you know, the standard Evan Williams bottle and bond or Knob Creek good enough or rare breed or, or better yet, 
see if a friend will go buy it and then go to their house and drink their bourbon. So that's what it comes down to. It comes down to why are we so obsessed with getting a bottle that we know we probably can't get? And then where's the friendship around it? Because friendship is what bourbon is all about. And it's okay. It's okay to go to another spirit. It's okay. I love me some rum. And sometimes I'm in a rum day and I don't want anything to do with bourbon. So I hope that helps. And thank you so much for that uh, for that note, Sterling. If you'd like to be like Sterling, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button and let me know your question. Or if you got something you want to say about Above the Char, let me know. If I like it, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 a cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Gift 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Welcome, everybody. We are back with a, another fantastic episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. The whole gang is here today to talk to a friend of ours that's been around the YouTube scene, the whiskey scene for a while. But it's it's something that we've, we've seen YouTube grow in popularity. We've seen his channel kind of take off. And I'm excited to be able to bring him on today and kind of talk to him about a few different topics, mostly about where we kind of looked at. Well, we'll talk about the mash and drama, kind of where he kind of got started. Then we're going to talk on the second half about sort of master distillers and and sort of their roles that they're playing and what they're doing of how they're finding new positions in the industry. But, you know, Fred and Ryan, I'll kind of post it over to you. I know both of you have had opportunities to hang out with Jason and we've all been able to hang out with Jason in real life and, and stuff like that too, but kind of talk about where you kind of found out about Mash and Drum and, and sort of how his growth in the YouTube fandom started coming as well. Yeah, so I I first learned of Jason when a Forbes editor emailed me a video that he did uh, of my whiskeys of the year tastings. Like he did, he went and like did the my my rankings and like did his own rankings off of them. And my Forbes editor was like, hey, look at this. This YouTuber did... Uh, did a thing on your rankings. This is pretty cool. And honestly, Jason was my first introduction to like reviewers on, on YouTube. And I started watching him and I was like, he's a very skilled taster. I like how he approaches it. I like how he tastes. 
and we uh, we kind of became friends after. But uh, that's how I got introduced to Jason when he was just uh, kind of like, you know, doing a taste off of one of my Forbes articles. You know, you made it when somebody has a taste off of your taste off. <laughs> that's that's when uh, you're in bourbon royalty now. I don't know about that. Yeah. No, it's, with Jason, the Mashing Drum, I think it was like 2020 during COVID, just everybody became a YouTuber and podcaster during that time. And so I was just like, let's check out what's what's new, who's new, what, you know, who's going to make it, who's not. And then who's going to make it, who's not. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, because you know, got the chops. <laughs> well, you know how it is. It's like everybody gets excited about a podcast or doing a YouTube for about six weeks. And then they're like, ah. You know, this is getting old. <laughs> it's a grind, and man. It it's is a grind. Yeah, but I I could tell instantly he was gonna make it because he's just so like captivating and entertaining, interacting with you know people that are watching. The video quality was fantastic. He would it, for some reviews he would do these. Gosh, I remember when he did one for Pursuit United. I was like, holy shit, you made you know this. That was like you know better than anything we've ever done. You know, so. uh I was just really impressed and I've still watched the show all the time just to see, you know, what his thoughts are, what people are thinking of different products. You know, obviously he's reviewed ours, but um, he does a fantastic job with everyone else's. So I just want to see what's like going on in the whiskey market, whiskey geek market. And he he does an excellent job of entertaining us all with that information. Yeah, I want to kind of second that one because, you know, we do this week in bourbon and I'm sitting there actually reading the press releases but when i see him getting ready to talk about a whiskey he's able to sit there keep a straight face eye at the camera and be able to spout off all this information without ever having to drop a beat and so it's very impressive about how he's able to kind of take all that information digest it and then be able to speak intelligently about it really quickly because if it was me having to do it and look at the camera there would be so many rapid cuts that it would look like, uh, you know, like was the YouTube videos that 10 year olds watch because they only have a two and a half second attention span. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. We've talked them up enough. So welcome to the show, Jason Calori of the Mash and Drum. Glad to have you here. What is going on, fellas? Thanks for having me on. Finally. It took us long enough. Way out. too long. Way too I, long. I, it's all right. It's all right. Better I late was, than never, right? I mean, I we, a, can, we can end this real quick, Jason, if you don't want to be on here. You yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's 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 an absolute uh, honor to be on here. Honestly, guys, you uh, yeah, I've been I was listening to you for a long time before I kind of discovered uh, there were podcasts about bourbon. Honestly, give us a little bit of history about you too, because you're the first time coming on the show, and I'm sure anybody that has been a subscriber to your channel, they're a, a member of your Patreon, they kind of know your background. But let's kind of introduce you to our listeners and our our audience as well where you grew up, how you started getting into whiskey, and, and kind of give us that journey. Yeah, I mean, not to make it too long-winded, uh, I'm, I'm a New York boy. Grew up in uh, Long Island most of my life and lived in Queens before I moved here to Ohio. I moved here to Ohio for my job, but once I got here, honestly, I didn't really know a lot of folks. <laughs> so I went to, I went to so college. So it just led St. you to drinking? Is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> well, I went to college at St. John's University. Uh, in Queens, Jamaica, Queens, New York. And while I was there, you know, everybody had their vices, you know, they were drinking beer and, you know, Jaeger bombs and all that fun stuff. Uh, but me and my buddy, we, me and my buddy, we started getting into whiskey and everybody talked about at the time, like, you know, when you don't know anything, you're just like, oh, Johnny Walker blue, that's the one to try. That's a great, this expensive whiskey. And you're looking at others on the shelf and we started drinking, you know, Wild Turkey 101, and we started with that, started it on the rocks, and eventually, at one point, we were just hanging out, we were at a party, and he just hands me Wild Turkey 101, but this time it was neat, and I tasted it. I'm like, wow, that's friggin' really good. What the hell is that? He goes, that's Wild Turkey 101 with, with no ice. Hold on, real quick, what about what age is this for you that you're sitting there at a party drinking 101 neat? Because the, yeah, this it, is, it was this, a long this, time until I got to that point. Yeah, this is college. This is I was uh, what eighteen, nineteen, something like that. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so college yeah. one hundred and one for me was definitely the it was still the shooting, the kicking chicken, yeah. right? I mean, you're you're going to yeah, be taking yeah. that one back to have a fun, have a fun time, not really enjoying it for the the pleasures of of what is bourbon. 
Yeah. So just as time went on, you know, really didn't dive into too much more whiskey after that. I just kept trying, you know, small brands here and there, just stuff that was available on the shelf. I wish I knew enough to buy a lot of that stuff that was probably sitting on the shelf. <laughs> but uh, uh, as I went further, uh, maybe looking at 20, I don't know, maybe 2012, 2013, go to a bar, this bartender, she's like, have you ever had anything at, you know, barrel proof? And I didn't really know what that was. I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, this is, you know, foolproof. It's not watered down. It's going to give you the most flavor. And it was actually a pour of Booker's. So tried Booker's for the first time. And that completely changed my perception on bourbon and like what bourbon could be and what it could taste like and the flavors and everything like that. So that's really what got me into it. And then just kind of by happenstance, I, I, Moved to Ohio, I really didn't know a lot of folks, and I ended up immersing myself, and I discovered this whole whiskey tube thing that was going on. Because even when I was first watching it, there was there was a good amount of channels out there, but not not to the level that it got to during COVID. Do you remember some of the earlier ones that influenced you that said, I, I kind of like watching this? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was watching uh, Chad and Sarah over at It's Bourbon Night. I was watching uh, Whiskey Tribe, you know, Rex and Daniel, those two crazy guys. I was trying to even learn about Scotch. I was watching Scott and Bard at Scotch Test Dummies. I was watching the guys at Scotch Four Dummies. And I'm sure there was some, there was a few other channels filtered in there that either had stopped producing stuff or uh, that I was just watching, just trying to get some sort of an education. Because once I moved to Ohio, I, I just kind of immersed myself in it. And then obviously reading Bourbon Curious, a little bit of shout out to Fred there. And just learning about all the different aspects of bourbon, what goes into it, the people behind it, I just got hooked and I just like started nerding out. And then I realized that nobody on these channels are really talking about the history and the people behind it. And that's really what engaged me into doing it. So I do have a design and a video editing background and a marketing background a little bit. So I decided, well, I don't really know too many people here. What if I kind of started my own channel? Um, and then in 2018... Yep, the mash and drum was born. Where did the mash and drum name come from? So uh, one of my favorite bars in the uh, in, in Manhattan is uh, is an Irish bar called the Fife and Drum. I, I just kind of was like, hmm, I kind of like the drum aspect. For those of you that don't know me, I do play drums as well. I've been playing for over 25 years, and uh, I wanted to incorporate, you know, just the word drum into it. So I figured, oh, well, you know, bourbon mash, mash and drum. Let's let's go with that. It, I felt like it was something different. It wasn't just like bourbon this or bourbon that. And, you know, just something that would stand out a little bit more on YouTube. It sounds good. Yeah. Doesn't sound yeah, too bad. Got a good, it's got a good ring to it. It's uh, it's working. <laughs> what have been, what was the, uh, look, I, I started a, a YouTube channel out of, uh, uh, out of necessity, like a lot of people, and it's been a fun ride. But I will tell you, man, it is the most. It is one of the most challenging things I've ever done because it's it, you have to be consistent, and there's and there's just all kinds of uh, all kinds of challenges that you don't foresee. What what have been some of the challenges for you in building? What you're up to, like sixty, seventy thousand subscribers now? Yeah, right on the verge of seventy. So, yeah, yeah, awesome. It's uh. If you watch my earlier stuff into the new stuff, it, it's kind of, you could see the evolution of the channel as it goes on. And really some of that stuff is just going through, um, seeing what other channels are producing, learning more about photography and videography and the right thing, you know, lighting and all that stuff. There's, you know, anybody can do a, a YouTube channel, just kind of set it up and, and that's great. You can do however you want it. But I think there's something to be said for production value, uh, good audio, good video and I was fortunate because when I started, you know, I kind of knew that stuff was important. So I was a little bit ahead of the curve, you know, for some other channels coming in. But like today, if you fast forward any new channel coming in, you got to have that off the bat because there's just so much, so many other channels out there that are kind of doing the same thing. So there's something to be said about doing something a little bit different and just setting yourself apart. But yeah, some of the challenges for me really were... Uh, video and audio in the beginning. I really just wanted to make it as professional quality as possible. Uh, just, I mean, you guys know the deal, just trying to get bottles at certain points to, to review. And cause there's always that aspect of YouTube where you want to, you know, you want to be the first 
you know, to YouTube with a specific review uh, to get views and to get that get that uh, that trending subject. Um, so that can be a challenge. And then, you know, just getting getting folks to, to watch you and to trust your palate and to, you know, engage with your content. Another question you had mentioned, which I find really fascinating, is you kind of talk about the production value and how what you all and what you are creating is it's really good. I, I'm also a big fan of Chad and Sarah over there, too. You can tell you all use really nice cameras when you're doing this. As I'm sure there's a lot of people that are listening to this and they're thinking to themselves like, oh, I'd maybe do a YouTube channel. I could do reviews. I could do this stuff. Kind of figure out like if people are thinking of that, what's the balance of content versus production value and what will really win out at the end of the day? I think ultimately it's all about content. It's all about what you're going to put out there because you know, I, I know, I know Ryan, I, you know, cause I've listened to you guys. I know Ryan's a big fan of some of those clickbaiters, you know, the top five, top tens, all those. Cause you know, cause yeah, <laughs> cause there are like those, those quick hit videos that, you know, ah, all right, let me see what this person thinks about that. You know, what, what they feel like the top five or the top 10 is. And you could generally do that, you know, without too much production value, people are going to click on it. I, I will say, Jason, I will defend that that structure like i i was pushed into that world at forbes like going from like writing 5000 word like stories to saying like give us a list of the best holiday bourbons there there's a way to do it that you can still make it educational and everything clickbait to me is like when you, it doesn't serve anything at all like there's no education there there's no it's just crap you know but like there's ways to actually achieve it but what i've found is that knowledge doesn't always gain views or traction on YouTube, you know? And so you could do it, you could do a list with the right knowledge in there and it gets shit. But if you do like um, the right bottles on there, it's like, oh, well, there we go. You know, it's, it's, yeah, weird. it's, yeah, it's definitely weird. I, I, I think for me, I'm always going to put, content a little bit ahead before production. I think there's something to be said for production, just doing it right and, and making sure everything looks good, make sure your videos are clean. Uh, you want to be able to get as much information in the shortest time possible to the viewer. Um, that's kind of how I look at it. So I put a, I don't like doing a lot of the, you know, top this, top that videos, because I put so much work into them. They're, it's not like just sitting down and you know, the one, one of my favorite videos I did is like the top $400 collection for beginners. And not only do I give you the reasons why I think you should have these bottles to begin your collection, but I give you all the history behind it. So, I mean, that took me days to put together. So, you know, stuff like that. I like for me, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes and, you know, Fred could attest to it. I, I told Fred back, uh, what was it last year, Fred, you came on the channel. You couldn't believe how much work it was. I'm like, Hey, congrats. You are now a whiskey tuber. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Fred, you're totally right when it comes to those types of those videos. And that's why Bourbon Pursuit does terrible on YouTube, because we don't do any of the comparisons or top tens or anything like that. Honestly, if we wanted to bump our numbers up, we'll just be like, and the top 10 for May 2023, the top 10 for June of 2023. <laughs> like, we'll just we'll just do that every single month. And and I think we could. Yeah, we could, but but our numbers aren't nothing to shake a stick at, too. Like, it's just it it's this is a podcast. And, and that's where, like, you know, my channel, my channel is like it's like a hybrid. It's it's like both, you know, the Fred Minnick show and like my reviews and stuff. And what I have noticed is YouTube doesn't like that. YouTube wants you to be very specific. It doesn't want you to have multiple things there. And, you know, Jason, you, you've got you've got such an interesting background. You've got so many talents outside of whiskey. I mean, I've really enjoyed and I think you've become an excellent personality and a knowledge forebearer in the space. But have you ever been tempted to do something about drumming, something about comic books or something about sports or Long Island tacos. Yeah. Long Island tacos. <laughs> Deli mates. Yeah. You know? yeah, the best. The best. Capicola. The best. Capicola. The, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. The gabagool. The gabagool. The hey. Capicola. Yeah. The best uh, pizza in New York. That That's a channel in itself there. So uh, I, I have. I mean, I've, I've explored different avenues, like doing a podcast on top of, uh, you know, this just to 
talk about because certain subjects I want to take more of a deeper dive into, you know, very much like you guys. But it's just like, well, I, I don't think I need to do that. Bourbon Pursuit and others are doing that so well. I think doing what I do and then filtering in some of my other interests for people to maybe give a little bit of a peek behind the curtain as far as like who I am. I think that's enough. I don't think I have to make all the specific content behind that. You are so good about making people feel special uh, when you're on a live stream. Especially I Fred. I will commend you. No, like everybody, like they, he'll, <laughs> like he'll see someone, he'll be like, hey, how's it going? You know, and people love you for that. And uh, I mean, but I, I don't know how you are so consistent. Like you you have those live streams, you're so consistent. I can't do it. Like it's just, it, it it's so hard to be consistent with it. And the minute that you get, I get in a role, like I, I get out of the role. So like you yep. are so good about keeping a schedule. And I have to commend you on that. Like so, any any tips for a uh, for a YouTuber on how to stay consistent? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know that Fred's this was just going to be a therapy yeah. session. Yeah. Exactly, it's, <laughs> it's just a YouTube therapy session for Fred. <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, all that stuff shifts. You know, I mean, I mean, Fred. I mean, you know, kids, wife, whatever it may be. You know, life happens. So I think it's important to always look at your calendar. Like for me, it's always about. No matter what happens to me in life, I could, there's there's ways I could shift. I always have to make time to move things around to not only make content, uh, but to always be present on Wednesday nights when my time frame is up. When it's nine o'clock on Wednesday, it's it's showtime. It's go and time, baby. It's go time. And unless unless there's unless I'm traveling or unless there's something going on, I always make it a point like that is my slot. And I'm not going to give it up. And that's going to be the time where I get to interact. I look forward to it as much as maybe some of my viewers do, because it's my time to, like Fred said, just to interact with everyone, say hi to folks, uh, answer some questions, because you don't, you know, when you get a, a specific comment on a video that's produced and uploaded, yeah, you can write back and you can answer that comment, but I don't think it's the same as a real time answer. So I, I really enjoy that time and just going through the news and Obviously, you guys have seen me rant a little bit, which is always fun. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I commend you, man. <laughs> Thank you, Fred. <laughs> Another kind of question to, to bring up with that as well is that everybody knows that if you want to get into the any kind of just media space whatsoever, you want to kind of be an authority and it could be peanut butter, it could be pizza, it could be bourbon, whatever. I mean, whether it's a podcast, whether it's YouTube Everybody that's sitting here right now, we spend upwards of 15, 20, 30 plus hours a week just kind of create content, scheduling things, figuring out what is it we're going to talk about for the next six months, all that sort of things. And over time, when we first started, we didn't have the audiences. We had to build the audience. And I know that I remember when we started the podcast, there was also a feeling of burnout that was hitting us at, at one point because... The ROI wasn't there. There wasn't money coming in. Audience wasn't growing. Did you ever have a, a hump or a hurdle that you had to kind of get over in regards of feeling like this is not going to go anywhere? I think I have that every year, at least once a year, <laughs> uh, where I where I kind of I kind of hit that. You know, I mean, you can make content as long as you want, and you can everything looks like it's going great, but it's kind of like the world of bourbon. Like, is that bubble going to burst, or people going to ever stop? People going to stop watching? Am I going to finally bore someone to death? Or will another channel come out that, you know, all my audience kind of gears towards that? You always get those thoughts in your mind. And for me, there's definitely a burnout point every year. I, you know, I'm doing barrel picks. I'm doing this. I have a regular job. I have my family, I have my friends. And burnout is real. It's YouTuber burnout is real. And I mean, we just kind of went through, I put so much work and, and time into this and I don't expect anything less and I'm not going to sacrifice anything for the quality of my show and my programming and my content. And um, sometimes I could get a little bit too much and I push myself too hard. And at those times you need, you need to step back. You need to sometimes not only just give your brain a break, give your palate a break, reset, and then come back strong. But it doesn't matter to me because I feel like people are going to come and go viewers are going to come and go you're going to have kind of like these empty subscribers that you know people will sub over maybe one video but maybe they won't come back and view uh, i'm i care about that core that core audience of folks that have watched me over the years that have watched me evolve 
and are here to stay. And I always feel like no matter what I'm going through, no matter what wall I hit, they will always uh, be there. And that's what I continue to make the content for. So that's kind of the, the motivation to get over those hurdles. It's amazing yeah. that you feel that every year. I mean, there, it, it hit us hard, I think, at one point where I said, I don't think that we can do this show anymore. I remember having that conversation with Ryan. I think it was, God, it had been back in 2018 or something like that. Maybe, no, I had 2016, something yeah. like that. It was it was early on. But, you know, ever since then, it was it just took, you know, have incremental sort of wins to kind of keep you pushing to that next level to kind of keep you going. And, and of course, when Fred joined the show, that was another kind of thing that said, okay, I think we're, I think we're moving <laughs> in the right direction here. You know, there's, there's those definitely those little wins uh, that, that come out of it too. And, and now, and now Jason, they're like, shit, why do we let this asshole on the show? Yeah, know. You know? So, yeah. Uh, and I think there's like, there's little, just, you just get little nuggets of, uh, of, of like motivation. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you know, you, you see other channels and maybe they're growing faster than you are and it can be frustrating. It's like, yeah, but I'm doing this. Is it just because they're just doing, you know, clickbait videos every week or is it, is it something else? Am I doing something wrong? Should I be doing more of that? And you kind of question yourself, but it's always like those little, like, you know, um, little nuggets of motivation that you get from viewers just to say, Hey, look, I love what you're doing. Don't change what you're doing. I hope you keep doing it. And when I get to talk to guys like you and Fred and, and other people in the industry saying how much they enjoy the channel and the direction it's going, that's all I need. That's all I need to keep, to keep it going. Dude, I'm telling you, man, just to throw it back at you, like to keep it up. You impressed me, you know, back in 2018 when you did that Forbes thing of what I've tasted. You really did impress me with that. And you impressed my Forbes editors, which they don't get impressed about anything. So <laughs> I you you've got a you've got a natural. They've skill never with talked that. about us, by the way. So you you're already ahead yeah. of us. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's true. Uh, but you have a you have a natural skill at this, and and people like you, and you you've dedicated time to it, and I, I don't know, I think I think you are genuinely really really good for for bourbon. So anytime you find yourself getting discouraged, just pick up the phone and uh, call Kenny. He's a good therapist. <laughs> yeah, and, I will and too. I've had I've had countless CEOs or master distillers or this and that say they're a huge fan of your show and they really value you know, your opinions and stuff as well. And oh, wow. it, it is actually, easy. I, I've never heard that. That's, uh, that's pretty uh, cool. Brian, Brian Tracy of Sagamore, he texts me all the time, like, have you watched Jason's video, this or that? And I'm like, <laughs> not yet. And uh, no, he just sings your praises and the folks over at Barstown Bourbon Company as well. But um, we fall on that same trap too, of the comparison thing. Like, you know, you scroll through, you say, oh my God, I got 400,000 views on a video. And we, we, we have like 4,000, what, you know, what, what, what do we do wrong? You know, but, you know, I think having that, you know, those loyal fans and like meeting them and talking to them, they'll say like, oh, hey, you really helped my, I hate my job, but the commute there, I love it because I listen to you all or this and that, or, you know, my Wednesday nights, you know, that's my time to decompress and hang out with Jason, you know, or whatever. So that, that's yeah. what definitely keeps you going. Yeah. And I mean, I know you guys know it as well as I do, like whether it be whiskey tube or podcast, you know, I know Fred has learned this very quickly that the whiskey tube community just as a whole, it's a very small like part of the entire YouTube landscape. But that part that we have, it's extremely strong. It's tight knit. There's some amazing people that are all built into that community. And I think, you know, it's, it's my job. It's, it's other channels job to continue to grow it and to protect it. And I think that's uh, what we do. Jason, besides present company excluded here, I know you've had a lot of different guests on your show from distillers and blenders and everything like that. Kind of, kind of talk about some of your favorites that you've had on. Oh man, that's, uh, I think Todd Leopold, I think he made my uh, head explode a little bit from Leopold, <laughs> Leopold brothers. Uh, he, I mean, he, his, his knowledge and what he went into was just like insane. Everything for that three chamber rye. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was an insane. I mean, he went stuff beyond that too. That was just an insane conversation where I, I had to go back and like take notes. Cause I didn't, some of the stuff he was saying was so like beyond my, where I thought he was going to go like take the, go down that rabbit hole. Nancy Fraley, of course, she is always an amazing. I mean, we literally sat on my live stream and we blended a cigar blend together. Like she sent me samples. She's like, this is how it starts. This is what I do. This is how it ends. And, you know, mind blown. It, it was amazing. I watched that entire video 
when learning how to blend, I was like, Nancy Braley's on. I'm gonna yeah. watch. It. I didn't watch it live, but I watched it after the fact. It was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, just like dropping one little, you know, eye drop of something, how it completely changes it, and then how she has to scale that up. I'm sure Ryan learned a lot, took a lot of notes from that one. And uh, oh yeah, that was uh, extremely yeah. valuable. So I appreciate you doing that one. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, who else? I mean, yeah, Jackie Zykin's been on a handful of times. Um, she was just on to talk about her new venture, and yeah, there's there's just been so many. It, it's hard to obviously Fred's been on. I gotta, gotta you know give get, give Fred some love. I mean, Fred's uh, been. You know, he helped, uh, he helped kind of come on. We did it back to back, uh, night one night, which we got a ton of views, which was great. That was a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, we got to do Mash and Minnick again sometime. Yeah, at some point soon. Yeah, when you get more consistent, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't even want to know the, the shit that, that Kenny has to deal with, with just like getting me to show up, you know. It's, uh, I, I am a thorn in his uh, calendar side, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I think that'll that'll kind of lead us into the sort of the next phase of this discussion and kind of talking about master distillers, some blenders, some key faces of a lot of these organizations and how they're leaving to go and do other things. And I, you had mentioned Jackie. There's other people that come to mind. Jacob Call, which is a, a most recent one from Green River that left after the Pritzker acquisition. You had Jeff Arnett that actually left Jack Daniels. So I think we'll be able to talk about I guess maybe that's where we start off is, is why should people leave? Why do they leave? And is it a difference in sort of like heritage, legacy, distilling, where maybe it was like our grandparents, where they all worked at the same job for their entire lives, and that's just sort of what people did? Or is it just a new age of working? And that's what people do. People bounce around between jobs, and that's just the nature of what it is, and they're going to go and just follow the money. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. Kind of talking about master distillers, some blenders, some key faces of a lot of these organizations and how they're leaving to go and do other things. And I, you had mentioned Jackie. There's other people that come to mind. Jacob Call, which is a, a most recent one from Green River that left after the Pritzker acquisition. You had Jeff Arnett that actually left Jack Daniels. So I think we'll be able to talk about, I guess maybe that's where we start off, is, is why should people leave? Why do they leave? And is it a difference in sort of like heritage legacy distilling where maybe it was like our grandparents where they all worked at the same job for their entire lives and that's just sort of what people did or is it just a new age of working and that's what people do people bounce around between jobs and that's just the nature of what it is and they're going to go and just follow the money well you know kenny when you look at the the role of master distiller that's essentially a brand a company making a a person a face of their product that's who's pouring at the Whiskey Fest. That's who all the consumers and journalists want to talk to about the whiskey. But they don't own the brand. And oftentimes, they don't get royalties for their own name being used on the bottle. And so there's there's as whiskey has grown, there has been this increased uh, belief by some of the people inside the distilleries 
that that money's not getting passed down to the right people. I, there was a very prominent master distiller five years ago was making $75,000. And that person was everywhere all the time. And then, you know, there's another company that their master distiller, they really value them monetarily. You know, that person was making $400,000, $500,000. So you have, you know, there's a little bit of play of like respect, there's money. But really, this has been going on for a, a long time. In the 1800s, one of the greatest master distillers was a guy named Cyrus Noble. Uh, and he left Bernheim to go off and do his own consulting and stuff. In a more contemporary sense, you know, Dave Pickerel left Maker's Mark, which really kind of unheard of uh, at that point. And, and he started, you know, consulting. And so I think a lot of it is people get the entrepreneurial itch, some of its respect, some of its money. But at the end of the day, it's talent. And if a company cannot retain a talent or keep somebody happy, they're going bye-bye. I think that the talent thing even is a little misnomer even nowadays, only because, yes, you get to the master distiller position because of talent, but then all of a sudden people are being sent on the road to go and do tastings all the time. They're not necessarily the ones turning the dials or doing anything. They have the whole distillation team that's sort of taking care of that. That might be another discussion. Yeah, I mean, it, a little bit, a little bit, but they've chosen to make that person the face. And whether or not they are actually programming in the automation for the dump of barrels or if they are programming the fermentation tanks or whatever, or they're turning the dials, which Connor O'Driscoll's doing, Harlan Wheatley's doing, uh, Greg Davis is doing, you know, so Denny Potter's doing that. So there are master distillers who do who are the face and are turning the dials in command like the distilling teams. But, you know, the term master distiller has been so overblown that, you know, tomorrow we could both start a brand, call ourselves master distillers, and it would be accepted. But anyway, that's another topic. Yeah, I have a question for you guys, just based off of what Fred said. Do you think master distiller, that title has been diluted over, over time just because of what you said, Fred? Absolutely. Is it not as in... Maybe I mean, it's an RS, it, but uh, yeah, maybe an RS, but the general public, I still think they see him as this, uh, you know, aura around him and whatnot. I think once you get so deep into the, you know, when you really understand how the industry works, there's a ton of people behind it actually making the whiskey, you know, therefore, whereas the, you know, somebody who's going and meeting about a brand and learning about the master distiller, they see this person as like, oh, you're like, you know, so is I, I think it's been devalued in say the whiskey geek community, but maybe not so much in the general population. Which that's what uh, I mean. Interest that that's realistically what these companies are going for. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a huge difference when when you have a master distiller that's not only doing the work behind the scenes, but as Fred put it, is also the face of the company, the face of the brand. Because you know, in some minds, you just never think that they would leave. You know, you may mention Dave Pickerel. Jeff Arnett left Jack Daniels, and that's that's never happened. Nobody no. leaves Jack. Nobody leaves Jack Daniels. No, that and, and did, not only did he leave Jack Daniels, he left and uh, partnered with a Berkshire Hathaway executive to start a distillery that is meant to specifically compete against the likes of Brown Foreman. So he didn't just leave. He he left and took a baseball bat with him. So uh, you know, I, I I think that you know right now. People are feeling the feeling the itch. And if you have it in your soul and you are an entrepreneur, you want to take that chance, uh, you want to start a brand. I mean, look at Kitty and Ryan. They started with a podcast and now have leveraged that into a brand, a successful brand on Pursuit United. To me, there are just some people who have the itch and want to start a brand. They want something different. And there are people who are complacent and content and love that 401k. So I think everybody, it's going to be a case-by-case thing. But with we've seen it now with three people. And if you want to go back to Peggy No Stevens, four people with Brown Foreman. Jeff Arnett leaving Jack Daniels. Marianne Eves, formerly Barnes, leaving uh, Woodford Reserve. Jackie Zykin uh, leaving Old Forester. And, of course, Peggy was their first master taster. Uh, back in the early 2000s, leaving there. So I, I think if you look at it from like a larger company perspective, you know, a lot of this conversation is around Brown Foreman. It could be around Brown Foreman. 
And by the way, I just want to make sure that we don't talk about Ryan and I that much, only because he's the talent, and he could leave us tomorrow, <laughs> and and he'll go off and, <laughs> and he'll start he'll start a different company. So I we make sure we don't, uh, we don't blow this too much. I'm nothing. Hey, without uh, you, Ryan, uh, I got somebody looking for a blender. <laughs> Call me after this. Yeah, <laughs> I, no one cares about me. They, uh, but, there's much better consultants out there. <laughs> but uh, but Fred made a really good point. There is there's this sort of mentality you have to have. You have to have that itch. You have to have one uh, that entrepreneurial spirit because let's let's look at somebody who hasn't left that could go and do their own thing, which is, of course, pretty much all the Russells, right? They have everything going on at Wild Turkey. Their names are all over the label, yet they are just salaried W-2 employees like everyone else. But could they leave tomorrow and go do their own consulting, their own brand building, Absolutely. I don't know what kind of non-competes they have going on, but that's one of those things that I look at and I go, wow, that's that's something that they could really leverage their names with. And that's what everybody else is kind of doing. They're, they're leveraging their name to go and create an opportunity, especially when we start seeing the rise of bourbon that's still in this hockey stick growth kind of pattern. And you've got to be able to make that change. You got to have the balls and make the leap is kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. One, one of the things that came out from the bullet turmoil, so some backstory here. There was some uh, lawsuits back and forth between Tom and Hollis Bullet, and a lot of things became public. One of them was that uh, Diageo was giving Tom Bullet a a very healthy royalty, $20 million a year in royalties or something like that. And I've always wondered, are the Russells getting a, a royalty from Campari to keep them there? But then, like, you talk to them, and you just like, they just like this lifestyle. You know, Jimmy just loves Anderson County. Eddie knows everybody there. I, I just think, I think they're they're a bit of an outlier. They're going to be, you know, a comparable one would be the nose. The nose would be a good one. And I think I just think that those parent companies have invested in those people. You know, and I and I think they've made it hard for them to leave. Yeah, I think the I, I agree. I think the Russells are definitely outliers. Wild Turkey is probably my favorite brand in the world. And there's just something about Jimmy and Eddie and, and them being there, being able to walk in and be accessible at points going to Wild Turkey. I met I finally met Jimmy Russell for the first time last uh, uh, just this year. Every time I all the times I went to Wild Turkey, I kept missing him. I literally walked in. He's at the gift shop eating barbecue. So <laughs> I was like, I was like, well, there he is. He's he's just sitting there eating barbecue, and literally, I was having a conversation with him, and I literally like kind of like shed a tear. He reminded me a little bit of my grandfather, and uh, I'm just like, man, this guy is. Uh, I could see why this this brand is so special to so many people, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, to kind of you know go back to Jackie Brown Foreman. I mean, she said as much on on uh, on my show that it was more of a for her. It was uh, it was a creative thing. She was kind of under the thumb of Brown Foreman for so long and kind of just kind of doing their profile and trying to make the best profile of, of Old Forester it could be and the most consistent. And um, I think that probably just gets tiresome over time. And she wanted to uh, do something different. And she went completely the other way, you know, doing something from uh, grain to glass and wild yeast and everything over what she's doing with Hidden Barn. It'd be interesting to see if like sales, if they can correlate sales from her leaving to, I would be interested to see like, you know, post more two years later, like did, did sales drop if she left or, or did it oh, just yeah. go, if it didn't mess with it all? Yeah. yeah I think yeah. that's a hard one to, I, I don't, I don't know, man, old Forrester's still going to be pretty good and they've got talent there that can yeah, you know, and still it's step that, up. I think they have plenty. I ha I think they have the talent there to keep that whiskey as consistent as possible. And I don't think much is going to change. Yeah. Maybe the birthday bourbon blends may change because Jackie was doing that, but it's still not going to stop people from chasing it. Yeah. You know, I think the other thing to look at as well is let's, let's look at other people. I haven't had a chance to try like Jeff Arnett's release of, of company. I think it was, I know that we've had an opportunity to be able to try some of the stuff from Sweetens Cove. Right. So looking at stuff that Marianne did, and I guess to kind of position this is is not to not to say like oh what are they thinking or anything like that. It's like you you have to use what's available on the market. And for a lot of people, they were like oh that's a you're overpaying. You're paying two hundred dollars for some more George Dickel stuff. And so there was a lot of pushback from that. Now when you when you see that 
do you feel that, well, is it not fair to people like Marianne and others because they're just basically having to go with what the market has available and not necessarily just go and look at the stocks of warehouses that were at their past places, but instead they're now dealing with a company. They're the third party. They're not the ones that own this brand. They're the third party that they're the ones that say, hey, I've got this thing. I want you to be my blender. And that could be for Nancy Fraley. It could be Marianne. It could be a lot of different people that kind of just go off and just do their own thing. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Kenny, because I think a lot of the, the the blenders or the master sellers that leave and, and they go do something else, whether it be consulting or blending for someone else, they they can get wrapped in on a negative thought process. Like, you left and now you made this. This is your fault. How dare you charge me $200 for more George Dickel stuff? And and yeah, is that unfair? I think so. I think they can get a bad rap at times, but at the time, you know, they're not the ones doing pricing strategy. They're just blending it for the brand. And I think they get kind of wrapped up in all that, un- unfortunately. So I'll come at it from a little bit different angle. I know the consulting world pretty well, and I know all the players in it. And they all have the option of saying, don't use my name. And if the brand is allowed to use their name, they get more money. And so we are in the world of everybody criticizing everything to include us criticizing whiskeys, to include people criticizing us for criticizing whiskeys who also get criticized <laughs> for over-criticizing us. So it's just it's just the world we're in. And if you make the decision to put your name on something you consulted on, you gotta, you gotta accept it. That's just, that's just it. Nancy Fraley has never shied away from any criticism. She will get in that Facebook feed and she will comment back very kindly. But you know, it can be, it can create like an open dialogue as well. In terms of pricing, look, man, Sweetens Cove's got a lot of celebrities connected to it. There's that's a, right. There's, <laughs> it's true. The line's pretty long. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of lot of zeros there. So there's a lot of there's a lot of pockets that need to be filled there. Uh, <laughs> but then you know they came out to their to their credit. They came out with the fifty sixty dollar whiskey in Kennessee, and I think that's better than their thirteen year Dickel. And that to me that shows Marianne's talent over just you know having some uh, access to really good barrels and. I, I think that there is uh, criticism can be good for blenders because it helps them see how the market is reacting. But people make a choice in that consulting relationship as to whether or not their name is used. And I think for Mar- I think for Marianne Eves, it was a little bit unfair, you know, for her, too, because, I mean, she was just coming off her big appearance on Neat where they really took a deep dive into like her background and being the first like woman master distiller, you know, in, in years and then all this work she was doing behind the scenes at Castle and Key to revive that brand and old Taylor Warehouse, the history behind everything that they kind of built up in that documentary. And then lo and behold, a few months later, she leaves and then she releases a blended celebrity whiskey, which I think some people just, I don't know, I think they kind of threw him for a loop a little bit. But at the same time, you know, she's, it doesn't diminish her, you know, her skills as a blender at all, at least in my, in, at least in my eyes. Everybody, everybody who's in her shoes is is used to it, and she's got several clients. She's got she's got a rum out. You know, she's doing great. Incredible story. So another question I'll kind of pose at you, and I think Jason, you kind of hinted at it a little bit earlier too, is you know, as somebody goes and tries to figure out, all right, well, we have one release, we got two releases, we got three releases, and if one's decent, if another one bombs, like how how long can the market really act to it, and how long can your tale of having a name still kind of be behind that. I think of somebody that Dave or Fred had mentioned earlier about Dave Pickerel. I mean, he seemed like a had a Midas touch. Anytime he would go and work at a distillery and be able to kind of be their consultant, good things happened. I mean, Woodenville is a great example, you know, getting bought out by um, the likes of LVMH and everything like that too. So there is something to be said about people that are, can kind of have this sort of Midas touch to it, but then there's other people that leave, go to try to do their own thing, and yet it just doesn't have that umph that people are looking for. Like, how long can can you kind of ride on, I guess you could say, your celebrity fandom, fandom or anything like that? <laughs> it's, it's interesting, because I think it really depends on who's leaving and what their goal is to do when they leave. 
they might want to go leave and try something completely different. They might want to try to do something similar what they just had experience with or something similar that they just had success with at another location, maybe just to challenge themselves a little bit more. For me, it's always like, how much do they want to challenge themselves? But you're right, Dave Pickerel. I think Dave Pickerel and Nancy Fraley are great examples of this because, you know, Nancy, for me, she has worked with so many small distilleries that have now grown to become, you know, obviously a lot bigger and their whiskey is just fantastic. So there are certain names I think that people can kind of put together with delicious whiskey and they kind of, they make that name synonymous with whatever that person is going to be making. I'm going to try, I'm going to drink and I trust that person. But honestly, you know, for me, I, I, I think it's to a point because eventually something is going to be made that doesn't jive with someone's palate. And it's that it's up to that person to really figure out whether they're going to keep following them or, or that's it. I'm, I'm moving on to something else. <laughs> the whiskey geek is a, uh they will like suck you dry and then just move on from you, you know, at, at the fastest. And it's like, I feel like you really can't, you really can't have a disappointment. You know, I feel like you get maybe one bad one and, or one mediocre release and that's it. You know, you got to follow it up with something. I don't know. Or, I, 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 all it takes, that is true, but I think Kentucky Owl is a really good example of how recovery is possible. I, I did not think that, we'd be talking about Kentucky Owl after they went to Stoli. And then uh, there was a miss and a miss and a miss. And then they they had a hit. And then suddenly the taters are lurking in the bushes again for Kentucky Owl. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. There's, there's a, a chance. You're saying but you're there's right. There's a chance. Yeah. But Ryan, you're right, man. People are so overcritical. Uh, I mean, take a look at Wild Turkey Diamond, you know? People like shit on that release forever, and it's still. I like, mean, still it deterred there. me from buying some fantastic Russell. You know, like that one that came in a box. You know, that was, gosh, what was it called? But the Russell's two thousand two, maybe or ninety eight. Yeah, yeah. It, but after Diamond, it really deterred me. Deterred me from like trying their special releases because you know there for a while that they had a couple. We're like, oh, Turkey just doesn't do good at limited release stuff, you know? Well, and I think, I don't think they ever really fully recovered from that. And you know, you can see it from like auction sales. Their bottles will be 600 to $1,200. And a Michter's will be four times as much. And of course, anything for Buffalo Trace, you know, has fairy turds in it and, you know, sells for <laughs> 10 times as much. But that's, I think that's a good example. But I also think that, we're talking about a very particular whiskey geek, and that is like a, a Gen X whiskey geek that is um, kind of getting in that point in their lives where they where they won't give things a second chance. They know what they like. But the millennials whiskey geek, I feel like, will give something another shot. Yeah, I mean, I, I could even point out an example that's, you know, fairly recent. Bardstown Bourbon Company in the Discovery Series moving their MGP getting, you know, kind of running out of some of that high age MGP stuff that they were using in their early uh, discovery releases and using George Dickel in their blends as well. That 17 year old, you know, George Dickel, Tennessee whiskey that they were using in the blends. And I think for some folks, it completely, you know, some whiskey geeks that I know completely wrote them off. Like there, that's it. I'm not, as long as they use that stuff, I'm not buying another discovery series again, but it's a different blend. You have to try it. I mean, it's not, it's not all Dickel, but you know, some people just have that mentality. It's, it's interesting. Uh, the, the, mod, the modern whiskey geek is a fickle person. <laughs> yes, we yes, are. They are. That is true. <laughs> and so I guess the next, the, maybe the last kind of question to wrap this up is as we start looking at when, People are getting ready to leave somewhere where they have been a face of it for, for quite some time. How long do you think there should be a period or a break period to say, all right, now I'm going to go launch my own brand? If you're leaving to go and do consulting, I think that's fine because you're leaving and you're just going to be basically getting you know 1099s from everywhere and you're just bouncing around and kind of helping people out. But for the most part, we know that at least on our side, when you, anytime you want to start a brand, it's at the minimum six months. You're probably about a year is kind of how long it takes to get something off the ground. And, you know, when you look at some people that go and they're a face of something, they go and start their own brand. It seems to be less than a month you hear about them talking about it. So 
I don't know. It seems a little awkward, maybe a little bit weird because you know that they've been working on this for, for quite some time, but is there a, is there a magic number when you could say like, this is a, a good period of time to kind of let the, the mending heal as you're starting to leave and, and kind of be that face of the brand? Or do you just have to say, listen, I've made my name in the, the press release circuit. People are talking about me leaving. It's now two weeks later. I'm going to go ahead and announce what I'm doing and go ahead and just kind of Stir up the whiskey world. So if they're if the company's gonna have massive layoffs, so they give two shits about anything. Let's, let's not you know? talk about layoffs. Layoffs, let's say layoffs aren't included in here. This well, but is but if but if like so like no, this, if is, they, this is somebody that leaves on their own accord because they okay. want to go and start their own brand. Is there a time period or a time bomb that says, okay, this is a safe time to be able to talk about it, or do you just strike while the iron's hot? Well, it depends on the contract. Like if you have a contract that you know, restricts that sort of thing, then you got to follow that. But I don't, I, I don't begrudge anybody for, for leaving. You leave one day and you start something else the next, you know, that they are not owned by that company and the company can fire that person at any time for not following corporate procedure or whatever, or not, not bending to the knee of, uh, of corporate America, you know? So, we are we are trained to think the companies have all the power when it's not the individual does and if the individual on their own time is setting up their own business as far as i'm concerned as soon as they step out they can they can start it now if they're doing it while they're getting paid on like they're at they're at uh said distillery and they're using said distillery computer equipment to start their own business and all that's a problem but i i see, <laughs> yeah, I see look no at that google issues. history yeah <laughs> <laughs> i see no issues whatsoever with like starting it the next day only because i believe in the individual over the company yeah, just just to look just just to look at it from a you know in the world we live in now, I and mean, Fred alluded to it earlier. You know, we're here to criticize and look at the news and press releases every single day. I mean, if, if it was me, I, I would I would say something as soon as possible, just because you wanna you wanna keep relevancy, you wanna keep your name out there. You know, as long as I have no corporate heads restraining me, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna just to keep my name out in the in the news and. But the 24-hour news cycle nowadays and, and getting everything out there, and I mean, I, I think it's important to to let people know as soon as possible. Just for, because, you know, there's a personal brand that's attached to your likeness that I think that you want to keep and you want to hold and you don't want to wait too long for people to lose that. Yeah, because people move on fast <laughs> from things. Ex and, exactly. Uh, and, you know, as long as they're not using, like, the company resources or company time obviously you know they're employees and so are they they're not expected to be that 100 percent of their time you know and so as long as they're not in their lab blending up the other <laughs> xyz using hydrometers and <laughs> I stuff brought these, yeah i brought these other barrel samples in i don't know where they came from but yeah that's actually where, let me just roll this barrel off of, uh, yeah. off of that truck and put it on mine you know yeah exactly so as long as that as i think you you got to strike while it's hot because people will move on fairly quickly as ryan announces he's moving on to become a blender of his own company i'm only, right. I'm only mm -hmm. kidding after this <laughs> after this episode jason we have to it's, tell uh, you the news he's, he's starting a new bourbon podcast with mash and drum uh <laughs> kenny it's just you and me now yeah they won't last six weeks. Oh! <laughs> Damn. Uh, yeah, right. Well, I know. I I'm not I'm not that good at spreadsheets like probably Kenny is. Oh my God. You have no idea. This this man could write a book on spreadsheets. It would be in exactly. a spreadsheet form. I just got a presentation yeah. on my email, the state of burn pursuit for <laughs> I meant to text you about that, Ryan. I was like, I'm like, all right, here we go. How did you do this already? Yeah. <laughs> I'm always thinking about you all. It's impressive, Kenny. It's it's really impressive. And it's sad it's a sad thing because my life, I've just I'm a mass comparison. So. same here. <laughs> Well, anyway, back back to kind of topic there. I, I just want to say you all gave really solid answers. And I, I, you know, the more you think about it, yeah, you have to agree that corporate America doesn't care about anybody. And you've got to look after number one at the end of the day, and that's you. And so going off the next day and, and making that announcement, I think it is a very valid thing to be able to do. As long as, as to echo what everybody said already, you're not doing it on the company dime. You're not doing the company equipment. You're not rolling off barrels from one truck into your truck, whatever it is. You know? <laughs> yeah, that'd be a problem. 
But this was fantastic getting to know more about Jason and tackling a subject that I think that we've kind of been pondering on for a little bit of, of what happens when people, the face of a brand leaves and what does that really mean to them? What does that mean to the other company and, and everything like that? So it was, it was good to kind of know about that. And I'm just glad that as we started going through this, I wasn't the only one that had a sensation of burnout as we started creating content and building channels and building everything like that, because it's, uh, it's good to know you're in good company. Yeah. Jason hides it well. I'll tell, I'll say that. Yeah, it's it's a real thing. You have to you have to kind of just, you know, stay at your own pace. And when you I think your I think your mind and your body tells you when it's time, like you need you need a little bit of a break. But it's really like I said, it's it's the community of guys like you and everybody else that that just, you know, keeps everything going. So got to got to love you guys for that. Well, give everybody a plug about where they can find you. And yeah, and your favorite cheese. I'm just kidding. You'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's actually Manchego. That's my favorite. Oh yeah, uh, La Mancha, baby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, if you guys, yeah, if you if you haven't found me yet, you can find me on uh, the Master and Drum on YouTube. Uh, you can check out my Patreon, the Master and Drum. You get access to some of my uh, my select single barrel picks, and uh, and yeah, I go live every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Definitely join in on one of the live streams and uh, see what all the all the fun is about that we're talking about today. And uh, yeah, and I, I release about two to three reviews a week on top of that. So uh, hopefully uh, you subscribe and enjoy the content. I appreciate you guys having me on today. This was so much fun. Yeah, oh, long overdue. Way too long. Time. Yep. Yep. That's very admirable. Two to three different videos plus a live every single week. You're you're constantly crushing and putting out content. So that's, that's great. And so make sure you follow Jason over the Mash and Drum. Follow us as well, Bourbon Pursuit, on all those different socials. And if you like the show, tell a friend, share it, leave a review, whatever it is. We'd always appreciate that. Well, But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs>